Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome to the Ringer's Prestige TV Podcast. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm here with Jody Walker. Hi, Jody. Hi, Juliette. How are you? I am great. We are back to discuss episodes 9 and 10 of season 2 of The Sex Lies of College Girls, which has now wrapped its second season on HBO Max. But we're going to get into it and everything we thought, do some superlatives, some impressions on the last few episodes. But Jody, I don't know if you're following the news. I assume you are because you work at The Ringer. A lot of cancellations happening at HBO and HBO Max. Do you think there's anything to worry about with The Sex Lies of College Girls? And I pose that question with literally zero inside information. And like, I have no idea, but I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I thought I actually, despite working, well, actually because of working at the ringer, I am currently (laughs) not incredibly on top of news because I am doing something on the website, which everyone should check out called 25 days of Benjamin's where I am watching an original holiday movie every day for 25 days and writing about it. So I feel crazy. Uh, And I'm also (laughs) not keeping up with my Hollywood beat quite as much as I would normally be. So I found myself while watching these last two episodes and taking notes on them, And because it was the end of the season, apparently the end of the semester for our college girls, (laughs) just the whole time being like, oh, how are they going to handle this in season three? Or like, what's going to happen sophomore year? And then all of a sudden at the very end, I was like, that's not a sure thing. I, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. I mean, the stuff that's happening at HBO seems really strange where they're like disappearing shows. I guess they have canceled the Minks or Mm -hmm. Minks mid-filming. So that seems mid-production, which is very mean uh, and seems 
possible here, but I also feel like Mindy Kaling swings a lot of weight in Hollywood. She got the juice, yeah. She's got the juice, and I don't know. Where where are you falling? You think we're going to get a season three? I have no idea. Like, I, I really don't. I think... I, I I kind of agree. Like, I feel like, yes. Also, just like anecdotally, I do think people are watching the show. I have no idea if it's like enough to sustain it, but I've gotten enough sort of like random feedback and heard of enough yeah. like friends that are, or friends of friends that are watching and have thoughts exactly our age. So I do think there's like a demo for it. We'll see. But another question that I have for you is, if we don't get a season three, how do you feel about the season two finale? Not great. <laughs> I I mostly enjoyed it as a finale, but it ends on a much more somber no, sad, sad season. And, you know, both seasons have ended, like, with a cliffhanger, which I think is kind of a funny end note for just a show about college life. Like, yeah. there, there are no cliffhangers to it otherwise. They rarely... These two-episode blocks rarely end in cliffhangers, like between episodes six and seven so that they've now that done that twice with the finale. I mean, maybe it's like, maybe that is a survivalist mode. Maybe that is a means to getting a season three. But there's a difference between, I think, like tonally ending season one with Kimberly's made a huge mistake and now she's lost her scholarship versus like Bella has completely self-destructed her whole life. She is emotionally in a very volatile place. And she's saying that she wants to transfer. That's like a pretty sad last note for a TV series. <laughs> about college! About the it, sex lives of college girls. It, it's, a gr- it's a great point. I think I was kind of like, I don't know that I want more of this show as it currently is. I really loved season one. Season two, I have found to be overall just like, disappointing. Um, I think that it felt a lot more like a old school sitcom, like versus a show that evolved the sitcom form for 2022. And I I really felt that way um, in the back half of the season when so much time elapsed. I mean, (laughs) they say in the beginning of episode 10, the rooming lottery, it's spring now. So like, it's time for like housing stuff. And we were like, Last I checked, it was like two episodes ago. It was the end of the first trimester. The sort of structural issues of the show kind of got in the way and the pacing definitely got away from them. Um, And so like what I watched another season, definitely. But I I think there's a really big gulf in quality between seasons one and two. Yeah, I would say that I still really enjoyed watching season two. I think you're dead on about the pacing and... There's probably a world in which you can watch this show and not give a shit about what trimester or semester it is. But I think that world is a sitcom world, you know? And we have wanted and saw it as more than that in season one. And sitcoms are great. Like, it doesn't have to be anything more than a sitcom. But I think it lost some of that groundedness that we felt in season one. And I was thinking about the characters who I still really enjoyed, but I think there was like an emotional difference between the sort of grounding storyline of season one with Leighton really coming into her own and discovering herself and learning how to, you know, be honest with herself and explore her sexuality. And like, there was this sort of, I think, really like resonant note about that that felt very honest and truthful 
in a non-sitcom-y way, you know, in a way that you could like really invest in for the whole season long. And I think in season two, that note and that character was Bella. And that was just, it's that's not a slight against Bella as a character. It was just a much darker, like, undertone to be following. Yeah, like a much darker trajectory and one that felt a little harder to invest in because as time went on and in episodes nine and 10, it became much harder to root for Bella and, like, invest in her as a character who is redeemable. I totally agree. It's a lot harder to invest in Bella. But I, I also think that one thing that happens a lot with television shows about college is that the first season starts out like very realistic or like hyper-realistic in, in, in a way. And then after that first season, the conventions of television sort of like box it in a little bit where it's very hard to maintain like the sort of like realisticness of college. Also, you sort of settle into different patterns as you evolve through college, everything isn't like brand new the way it is like when you're on your own for the first time and you're like, holy shit, I can stay out all night or whatever. And so I think like watching a slow but more realistic portrayal of Leighton coming out and like then coming to grips with her own sexuality and feeling comfortable with it, or let's say she's already come to, she, you know, she has come to grips with it. She knows what it is, but sort of finding her identity in college like, that's really interesting, but, like, I don't know if, like, the pacing of a, of a comedy on HBO can accommodate that without it just becoming a show about Leighton, you know? Um, and I just think it's, like, there's certain aspects of, of like, just how a 25-minute show works that makes this kind of challenging. So I do think it's, like, somewhat structural. And also, like, there just aren't a lot of great TV shows about college because it's really hard to do for whatever reason. And I do think that a lot of what they're doing with college is still, like, really fun and it really is, good. Yeah. There are still so many things in each episode that I deeply relate to or remember about college and think that they're making so funny. I mean, these episodes about, like, the awkwardness and all-encompassing importance of choosing your sophomore year roommates from this weird collection of friends that you've made in all your different groups and clubs and freshman hall your freshman year like that's a very real thing and it's so fun real. to have that like represented on a show for multiple generations of people who have experienced it on that note the piece about like are you living in your sorority or not is so realistic. It was a very I, 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 that really that resonated with me. My personal experience, as we've discussed, this show captures a lot of Northwestern life, and <laughs> that was definitely a piece of it. I'm sorry I interrupted you though. Keep going. <laughs> oh no, I mean it's it's like it's same thing. You know, I made all these best friends on my freshman hall. Then we all joined different sororities or didn't join sororities, and then we had the option to live with our sororities. And then who are you going to pick from that? And yeah. I think watching that is super interesting. But watching that is the core of the show. And the core of the show is the dynamics between these four girls. And I do think some of that was lost in season two. They're just not together as much anymore. And I think that's kind of realistic to college that yeah. you, you know, you get involved in more stuff, you have less time, but it's not as fun. Like, I no. want to see these four girls together and all their funny little sidekicks. Yeah, we want the friend group to stay intact. I, it is like just an interesting piece of, of like being at the end of your freshman year and you're like, okay, so what happens next? Like you're not <laughs> freshman anymore. It's not the first. It's it's interesting. Also, you know, maybe the sophomore slump is a real like 
I think that started in the music industry with like after a debut album, like a sophomore album is really hard to land. Maybe that's true, like a lot of season twos in general. Cause I think if you th- if I think about many of like my favorite shows, that is true. Season two is often hard to hard to land. But let's talk about where we leave each of the four gals. Let's begin with Layden, who I would say is the least depressing and the most upbeat. Uh, as we teased last week, Alicia is back. Alicia was her um girlfriend from season one while she was still, while she had uh, not come out yet. And that is what led to them breaking up. Alicia works at the Women's Center where Leighton had to to serve some time. And now Alicia is back. I was delighted to see her. How about you? I was okay to see her. I don't know. (laughs) I think like I didn't, the way that that relationship ended in season one felt pretty final and it felt like such a first relationship like not necessarily one that like needed to be revisited to me but I also felt like the Tatum relationship was not something that was going anywhere as it was mostly founded on being the same person and and being mean and being mean and being judgmental and they Tatum was never given a lot of dimension she was kind of either like being mean and funny or like completely affirming Leighton about something and, you know, telling her that everything's okay. Like she just wasn't much of her own character because she was Leighton. Um, so it wasn't like I was holding on to that relationship too much, but by the end of it, I enjoyed seeing Leighton come back into the women's center. I, you know, that was such a huge part of her character growth in season one and of her becoming like a softer person who is willing to let other people in and make new different kinds of friends. And so it was really fun to see her go back there. And I'm just going to keep my eye on the Alicia thing, you know? Um, Alicia is played by Midori Francis. I really like that actress. I think that's why I, I was happy too. to see her. I was just like, she's a good addition. The f- also, I think that the show did a really good job with the Women's Center, both skewering it, but also like, but like having more representation on the show. Like it's a fun way of exploring that's also like that part of college where I think you first often become like, you know, find your own causes that you care about that maybe like weren't handed down to you by your parents or wherever you're from. And so that piece of it was really fun. I know that Leighton's really rich, but like just the fact that her mom could just like write a check for $30,000 to save the women's center offhandedly is so wild. Like that that's just like, I don't know. Well, she had the money allocated for Kappa and ultimately... And, like, I can absolutely imagine that woman writing (laughs) an annual $30,000 check to her, like, national sorority chapter or whatever. (laughs) I started laughing so hard while you were talking because it just, like, the Women's Center brought back into my mind. What is the the character... Is the character's name Ginger who keeps giving blood? Yeah, I think so. When she so walks funny. into the party and Leighton goes, oh, Ginger, I see you wore your long coat <laughs> inside. <laughs> I just <laughs> laughed so hard. I love I love some of these side characters who are just so true to themselves in a way that is like really enviable and admirable, especially to these four other characters who are, we are seeing like constantly quaking under the weight of like who they are to then just get like these little visits with these I think that's like what the show does best sometimes or like just the humor of these side characters even though I agree I like seeing the girls together each actress is funnier and they're like playing off of the recurring characters versus the main characters than they are with each other like that's definitely true for Kimberly maybe it's like the least true for Bella 
But I think that everyone gets to be funnier outside of the friend group than they do inside the friend group. So that's like another like real benefit of the women's group. So Leighton broke up with uh, Tatum. She, I don't know if she's dropped out of Kappa, but she's definitely not the social chair for next year. And she is, you know, recommitting to the Women's Center, which I'm delighted by. Good for you, Leighton. Have a, have a great, a great sophomore year. I will say this about Leighton's arc this season is that I think that it's pretty representative of, for me, of some of the things that we were talking about earlier of this sliding into a little more of like a sitcom structure, which is like they are just dropping storylines left and right and dropping characters. And like we never got any, to my to my remembrance, any indication from Leighton before this episode that she was not feeling like herself at Kappa. Like, she has been very excited. She was excited when those girls came screaming into the room to, you know, give her a role that we don't even know if she's applied for as social chair. And that felt... Obviously, you can see where it's coming from, from the conversation that she had at the, you know, benefit or brunch or whatever that they were at, where these older women are being pretty closed-minded and and frustrating. And But it seemed like a really sudden decision to me for her to just say, I don't feel like myself here and I don't want to do this. And maybe that's true to life. But And then also the, just like the complete dropping of Tatum, who we've spent a lot of time with. I know. We, inv- we had to invest in Tatum, and now she's gone. In in we'd never gotten any indication before that Leighton was, you know, frustrated by how judgmental she was. Tatum says it herself. She's like, you literally told me that you liked me because we were because we were the same <laughs> amount of judgmental, or you thought you were more judgmental than me. It it felt a little, some of those plot lines felt a little haphazardly wrapped up. And yet, I'm glad for Leighton to be happy. <laughs> yeah, I I feel the same way. I think it also would have been like totally realistic if if Leighton rejected Kappa on the basis of the alumni, not uh, the alumni like desperately clinging to the term of sisterhood as part of like what makes Kappa Kappa. Like I think her deciding this isn't for me based on that conversation totally tracks. But I think you're right that her being like I felt this way for a while. We we had no evidence of that, but nevertheless. Onward for Leighton. Um, next, let's get to Whitney. Whitney and Andrew finally go on a date. Um, Andrew does not have BDE, even though uh, he's very tall. And then she hates their date together, but then they play basketball and it's back on. Um, until it's not. And finally, she breaks up with him before he has to give a presentation in science class and he cries. Uh, that was enough. That was an, another very swift wrap up of that story arc. Um, but I thought it was pretty funny, actually. I actually think Charlie Hall is a pretty, pretty good comedian. He's funny. Yeah, I was, I was impressed with his comedic chops. And, you know, it, he got a little more room to work there at the end to not just be like snooty. It's also like he's deeply weird and maybe insecure and overly controlling and really, really liked Whitney. I have to say, in episode nine, I had the briefest feeling of, oh, this must be what Zoe Simmons feels like watching this TV show, actually (laughs) knowing how Gen Z kids talk. Because when they misappropriated the term BDE, big dick energy, that badly, I was like, did an alien write this? Why are you even saying this person who is tall, yes, and is some form of confident, is so far from having BDE. Like, he's so showy with the confidence. He's so showy with the cockiness. That is in 
back to the opposite. Yeah, and you, you can see the work. Part of BDE is like not being able to see the seams. And it was even before the date where it was clear he had studied the menu, or he says he studied the menu and, and did a lot of Yelp uh, <laughs> research. It's clear that he's like, He's not just a tryhard, he tries hard. Like, that's what he does. And he's so, happy to be seen trying hard. That's yeah, part of it. <laughs> yeah, which is cool, which is, like, totally yeah. cool. But I agree, totally does not have BDE. The other moment that was, like, very, very uncomfortable for me was when they used AF. Uh, I think Kimberly says, like, something <laughs> AF, and then it's, yeah. like... And then she defines it as and fun. Yeah, and I was just like, absolutely not. I, this is a, this is painful. That was that was a real tough one. Ooh, I oh, do man. get a real kick out of Kimberly just being like an eighty-year-old woman in an eighteen-year-old woman's body. I, I know <laughs> she, she doesn't know anything. <laughs> so Whitney breaks up with Andrew, realizes that she still has feelings for Kanan. Um, she also declares her major. She is a biochem and biophysics major, which is great. Uh, good luck. <laughs> that sounds really hard. Hope you enjoy the library. Uh, and you, you know, I think we saw this coming. Um, Whitney decides she wants to get back with Kanan. She goes looking for him. And what does she find? But Kimberly and Kanan making out on the quad. Really heartbreaking. I just really felt for Whitney in that moment. So upsetting. Yeah, this um, these two final episodes reminded me of that Lena Dunham quote that I said, I think, in our very first podcast during the finale, a friendship between college girls is grander and more dramatic than any romance. Like, I think that you could see in that moment that Whitney is, or this was my reading of it, that Whitney is much more heartbroken by the Kimberly aspect of it than yes. by the Kanan aspect of it. Yes. Uh, and it's just really sad. Um, it's really sad. And, you know, I think then she decides to take Leighton's room in Kappa. They're not going to room together. Uh, yeah, it, it was heartbreaking. And, like, I felt, like, viscerally upset with, with Kimberly. Um, especially because then, at the end, Whitney gives her the opportunity to come clean, and she doesn't. Um, and it really sucks. And, of course, Leela had been all over this, and Leela was like, no, you can't, you can't do that. So... I don't know. I was really sad about that. That's sort of like as sad as the Bella note, which we'll come to in a minute. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I does, it does set up Whitney for a more multidimensional um, plot in season three, which I think we've both been clamoring for. Yeah, I, I think it felt especially sad because these two characters of Whitney and Kimberly are not exactly the straight men, but like they've got stable heads on their shoulders yeah. generally you know and they're they're kind of the last two that you would expect to be at odds or to i mean we've definitely seen Kim, we've actually definitely seen both of them make some pretty bad decisions especially around young men but <laughs> haven't we all it, <laughs> right <laughs> uh so it just felt it it felt so even though we i think we have touched on like is something going to happen between Kanan and Kimberly it still felt unexpected to have it happen that way and to have like one of these two girls hurt the other one so badly. Yeah. And I think to your point earlier, it's such like a um, feeling of like just relief when you realize that you and someone you really like want a room together. So the fact that they both like found that in each other and like were comfortable, um, you know, like sort of being like the duo that stays together from the quartet and now that's broken. Well, it just felt really heartbreaking. It was it was really sad. But it's also such a rush 
to realize that someone you really like, who you thought there's no way they could like you, actually does like you back. And so, like, I was upset with Kimberly, but I was also very invested in what was happening. (laughs) So... Um, in episode nine, Kanan invites Kimberly to be his plus one to receive a award from the economics department. It's like the fanciest gala I've ever seen. Uh, who knew the economics department had such a budget, but that's great. We also learned that... Um, They're good with budgets. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that Kanan's mother has Alzheimer's and he is very active in raising money for Alzheimer's um, like care and research. Uh, he lies to her to get to, to downplay his invitation to escort him. He says that he asked Zoe, who Whitney was threatened by in the beginning of the season, um, to be his date and she can't go. So then he asked Kimberly. They have a very uh, platonic goodbye, but we all see it. Kimberly says it almost immediately. She tells Leela that she's interested. Did you need that to be explicated that way for you, Jody? I liked it for the character. I mean, I think that, like, Kimberly is very external. And for her to... I mean, we also see her immediately go back to her hall and break up with Jackson. Talk about a sitcom plot line. I mean, she opened that door, said we should break up, and we never saw that large man again. (laughs) Which really sucks. Which which was rude to us. on that one. (laughs) Rude to us. Rude to Jackson. Um, So... I think that like it made sense to it didn't really it didn't really make me think anything. Like it it made sense to me that she would do that and that she would need some input. But I think what she really why someone would say that out loud to another person is because they want that person to tell them it's okay. Sure. Like she wants Leela to say, Go for oh, it. Well, if you really like him, or oh, I've been watching you two at Sips and the sexual chemistry is absolutely palpable. Like she wants some sort of okay, she doesn't get it. And then she goes for it anyways. Do you think that Kanan was more surprised that Kimberly could be into him than vice versa? Because why didn't he just go for it? Everything we know about him, he's like pretty confident, goes after what he wants. So do you think that he thought like she, because she was dating um, Paul Walker next door? Or like, what do you think was holding him back? Well, I imagine the friendship between her and Whitney. Like that oh, right. he's trying about that. <laughs> easy to forget when you're looking at Kanan and he's being really dreamy it's easy to forget that he dated your roommate uh so I imagine that he you know it's it's has always seemed like he finds Kimberly delightful and has some sort of interest in her whether it's always been romantic or not I think that he would have questioned if she'd really go for it uh knowing that she's good friends with Whitney and like putting himself out on the line like that i mean he is confident but he's also cool you know and i think that putting yourself out there like that is very vulnerable and not cool and you know luckily kimberly is the least cool person of them all so she's happy too i think it was like kind of a missed opportunity to not of all the explication to not like draw a line between them doing the protest together and like calling whitney's mom together to them then realizing they have feelings for each other. That almost made it seem like a totally like isolated incident. And I was like, there there was there could have been a little bit more of a buildup, which I appreciate the subtlety, but like I, I think there was more of an opportunity to like show why he's into her and vice versa. I mean, I think we got it more from her perspective, but like for him, it kind of seemed random because they didn't draw those lines more. Yeah, I totally agree. Like there were there were great opportunities for those seeds to be planted like yeah. at the at the strike. 
I mean, I wonder if like some scenes got cut for time or something. The the mere fact that they did that together sort of reignited the thought in my mind of like, oh, is something going to happen with these two? Um, but then it, but then nothing of that was like it, even between the lines and that plot point. It didn't seem, and that we see, I think, in this in these episodes her learning more about him and that, like, finding out that he is a fuller person than just, like, the hot, funny guy she knows at work um, is what really, like, draws her to him. And I think that he could have been seeing that fuller version of Kimberly during that strike and, like, seeing her ambition and her drive. Right. And also, she's, like, a fun person to be in the trenches with. (laughs) I think it seems like, at least, because she's so goofy. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Can we talk about Bella now? Are you ready? Yeah, let me just, let me just, you know, gird my loins and and stiffen my spine. Yes, I'm ready. Bella, at the end of the episode, as you alluded to, has decided she wants to transfer. What were you, um, which of of the sort of reasons for transferring were you most surprised she was in touch with? Her 1.8 GPA, the fact that she um, broke Eric's heart, the fact that she... um, betrayed all of her values with uh, how she was conducting herself with the Foxy um, or just the fact that she was trying to like run away from this problem. Like it was a really jarring, depressing final scene. And I'm curious, like what about it for you was, was the worst. I have to say as being a total press myself, I was like, wow, 1.8 GPA. That's really bad. Like good luck getting that, that up by the time you graduate. <laughs> I think that was the most shocking because while we have not seen Bella, like studying, we also didn't know that she was, you know, literally failing. Although she did fail, fail the science class or the science test. 
I guess we have only seen her failing, so I shouldn't have been assuming maybe she was like getting bees elsewhere. Um, But I I don't know if you experienced this, but during that scene, you know, she tells the girls that she's like, the girls say, why don't you just talk to the writer who you were so rude to? Like, I'm, you know, just talk to her, to Georgia and see what happens. And she says, I'm, I'm working on it at 1015. And so first you think she's going to talk to Georgia. The moment you see them only filming her, you know, she's not talking to Georgia. I assumed she was talking to a therapist, like a school therapist. Okay, great. So like, the, the most shocking part for me was just the extreme whiplash of being like, oh, this is great. Bella needs to be talking to someone. Like, she has actually taken a step in the right direction for her own mental well-being to talk to a therapist. And then I think the undercut of, no, she wants to transfer. She... And, you know, you got to make the decisions you got to make. But in the case of Bella, it feels like she's running away from all of this world that she has just completely blown up around her. And I think that was the most, it's like the most Bella part, but it's also the most painful part. Yeah. It was like truly sad. It was just a really, do you, by the way, do you think she was talking to a therapist or do you think she was talking to like a, a transfer administration person? I assumed she was talking to an administration person by the end. And I have to say, part of what is so sad is Amrit Kaur in this is a terrific actor. Like, I think that she has been incredible. Her ability to vacillate between, like, extreme comedy and really emotionally centered stuff like this is, I think, really impressive. And so, and I think it's really realistic to have someone like that who is, like, so wild, so upbeat. Also, exactly. Like, who is volatile and goes can also, like, swing into a real darkness. And I always buy that with her. So I think that was also a really tough part of this final beat is that it was very believable that she has been completely destroyed by the events of her own actions. I guess I was, like, surprised how quickly it all came together. But it seemed, like, true to the episode, the sort of the final straw was not having a, a, anywhere to live. Where she was like, shit, even my roommates have rejected me. Well, but it, but that's also the future sad because roommates. the future or the 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 girl she thought she was going to room with have fired her from the Foxy and then have that's what I meant like the, those roommates yeah but the other her current roommates have already extended the offer to her to live together at that table they're saying should we just do it should we live together and she says sorry I'm really distracted right now like her inability to grab on to what is actually good around her in the face of her own extreme ambition is is tough to watch. I know. It's really it's really sad. I was kind of surprised we didn't get another Eric appearance before the end of the season, but like maybe that was cut out too. Who absolute who's same. And I <laughs> and I missed it and was like that you know, there's just some of these characters I think that you're not quite ready to let go. Uh, yeah, like Eric. Also, the, um, I mean, I guess we should say the impetus for a lot of this is that is that Bella's group or her magazine, this Essex College, very supportive of journalism, very <laughs> supportive of print media. Like, very. They get an art. They get told that they're going to get an article in like the Essex Magazine, which Bella says. Every student and alumni reads this print magazine. Uh, So this is a huge deal. And ultimately, Bella kind of like steals the show and the article ends up being totally about her. And then she's dishonest with her group about it. And that ends up just kind of like tornadoing everything. 
But what I was going to say is the the writer who was writing the article about them, his voice sounded just like Eric's. Oh, I didn't I even know notice, you that. notice that. No, but I didn't. at one point she she walks into a room and you can hear the you can hear the writer talking, and I was like, oh, she's going to see Eric. I got tricked a lot during this episode. <laughs> I really liked her photo and her outfit for the for the magazine. She looked great in that spread. So I, I probably would have chosen that too. I was like, well, that's a great picture. Well, I was going to ask you, like, where do you fall morally on she, she, you know, only Beyonce gets to approve her cover stories, but apparently so does Bella. Like the writer says, you know, brings her in to approve this story. She finds out before it goes to print that it's going to be about her and not totally about the Foxy. And she says, do it. Like, let's, she waffles a bit. She knows the other girls might be upset, but then she says, do it. Like, what did you think about that decision? I think that's, that's standard for an alumni magazine. I don't think that's standard for a non-alumni magazine, but like for uh, Essex on Essex, I think that that happens regularly because they want like their alumni or they want like their students to like look good, right? So I was okay with it. Didn't, didn't set off any alarms for me. But I just thought the whole, like, that guy's, like, attitude of sort of being, like, too cool for school was sort of weird to me. So, Well, I guess I meant, like, morally her decision to when she gets, like, the opportunity to maybe, like, I I was kind of okay with the decision. I was like, this is a big opportunity, and you were impressive, and this seems fine. It's just, once again, like, the way that she handles it. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's, like, a crazy thing to decide, but she's so rude to the to the other women in the process that like that's more that that was harder to watch less her making that choice and more her like shushing everyone and like you know sort of denigrating their ideas and thinking that she has all the answers i mean that's like ultimately her achilles heel is the overconfidence that like she knows everything already and like knows exactly how to get what she wants and like knows the path and she is learning something early as a creative, which is we're not all made to be managers. Like, we are not all <laughs> made to be bosses. Some of us are just made to write or be comedians or whatever. And I <laughs> I don't think she's cut out for a managerial role. No, at least not at this point in her life. That whole thing was sad. I like, if that were the final note of the show, it would be super depressing. So I, I hope it comes back for a season three. I do too. I think it will. I think it will. I'm going to be I hope hopeful. so. Who's your MVP of the season, Jody? I said this as a superlative, and so I know that I should choose uh, one of the four <laughs> girls, probably. But I have to say, it's Ilya Isarellis Paulino as Leela for me. So I-, funny. I was thinking that in these last two episodes, she is always cracking me up, but like, she is such a talent. Yeah. I think that like the greatest pain of this show ending for me would be if she does not go on to like a great career in comedy. I think the decisions she makes, the cadence of her voice. There's one point during the during episode nine where um, they're finding out that Kanan has gotten like his is going to receive this award, and she's like oh, you're a business boy? Then why the fuck are you so bad at the register? <laughs> like, the way that she goes from being, like, so charming and cute to him to being so genuinely mad that he's bad at the register because she really cares about her job as the manager of Sips is she just adds so much color to that role. And I think she added so much color to this season. Obviously, she was great in season one when she said, a journal. But, like, in season two, I think, I think that, like, watching her interact with each of these four girls, I love when they come to the party and she says, my favorite bitches! Like, 
you just get it. I just get that character because of what she's done with it. So for me, it's it's her. She was like the real shining light of this season for me. She does a really good job of playing wise and hilarious. And that's just like hard to do. But like she's believable as a confidant for Kimberly. She's believable as throwing herself into the manager job. Like she's everything she does like works. And she has such like a unique character that it's it's pretty pretty amazing to watch. Also, I think she's like unique for ideal for TV. Like I think she's a great TV actress because you want to spend time with her characters and like you want her to be able to like grow a character over the course of a TV show versus like in a movie where, you know, like whatever arc she may or may not have as like either the lead or whatever would have to like come come and go in two hours or less or whatever. And so I, I think that like she's particularly fun on TV as like a weekly presence and someone who can like explore their range and, and whatnot. So I hope she has a long career on TV. I don't know who my MVP is. I feel like I'm, t- I'm torn between saying Leighton or Whitney because I, even though I don't think that either of their storylines were perfect, I think in some ways they had to like, their characters had to do the most work because they like propelled the plot forward in a certain way. I, ultimately, I'm leaning towards Aaliyah Chanel Scott. I think that like that character is in some ways um, the least realized as we've discussed, but like provided a lot of fun this season and then was a part of like the kind of, uh, like the climactic emotional moment other than Bella. And so I don't know, I, I really enjoyed watching her I also like love her style. So like that was fun to watch too. So I'm going to go with her. L- love it when you discover a passion. Um, but it, it definitely is like true to being an ensemble. Like this, you know, take out one of these characters and you do feel like you're missing something from the show. So I I enjoyed all of them. Um, for season three, who do you want more of? Well, I had conceived of this question of who do I want more for? Mm, sorry. <laughs> so guess this more. No, that's okay. That's just what I was thinking on. Um, to which I would say Bella. I want better for, I want Bella to be better. I want to see growth for her. I think we certainly got a lot of Bella this season. And so I don't necessarily want more of her, even though I do enjoy the like comedy of the character and of the performance. But I just really feel for her right now. And I want her to like lean into this group of people who really do support her and want more for her. And so like, that's what I would want out of season three. Who do you want more for or more of? (laughs) Or do they overlap? I think I would like more of season one, Leighton. Like I, I would like more of Leighton at the Women's Center. So like, give me more of that for sure. And... I kind of want more for Kanan. I feel like we, I want, I also want more of him. Like, let's dig into yeah. some of his family stuff. Like, if he's going to be one of the points of the triangle, we need to know a little bit more about him. So, and I'm, I'm all for a love triangle. I mean, I say that as a devoted Felicity fan. So, you know, it, it can work. How have, have we not talked about Felicity on this show? We've been talking about college shows for six podcasts. How have we not talked about? I think because it, we have not seen any, hardly any interpersonal conflict between these women to this point. And like, totally. it had to happen at some point and now it has happened and there is a foreseeable Felicity love triangle in our future. Felicity, I've been rewatching Felicity a lot lately. Felicity did How? something that this show also does, but I think really speaks to like, well, first of all, Felicity's not really a con- like a sort of slapstick comedy and I would say this actually turned into one. Um, but they both really relish awkwardness. Like they both really relish the awkward moments of becoming an adult in your first year of college. And 
um, you know, I think ultimately that's like what was really fun about the show is it's like such a universal experience. Uh, you know, even if you didn't go to college or like, you know, you leave home for the first time or you like have all these experiences of becoming an adult, there's so much awkwardness inherent in it that like all you can do to get through it is laugh. Um, yeah. And so I think that's why this show is like ultimately a joy and like ultimately why even when it's not as good, um, it's still really fun because like there's so much universality to being 19 and not living with your parents for the first time. So, you know, it's just like, it's, it's something that you just can't help but like kind of smile thinking about, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think because it, if you're if you're someone who went to college or had that experience at college, you know what the end result is. And like, hopefully it's that all of that discomfort, you know, unveils to you who you are. And like in meeting new people like you've never met before, in living alone, in working at SIPs, in going on strike, like whatever, those are the things that, are sort of like you said something earlier, like those are the first sort of foundational building blocks that have nothing to do with your family or where you're from. Obviously, depending on your college experience, but for this college experience that we're dealing with here in this show and for the one that it seems like we both had and like a lot of people watching this who sort of relate to this show had, you know what comes out on the other side of that, which is like a more realized person. And so in that way, I think that makes the cringe sustainable. Totally. Yes. You know, there's light on the other side. (laughs) Jody. it's been a real delight to recap this with you. Hope to be doing it again in season three. HBO, hope you're listening. Thank you to Kai Grady, for whom we spoiled every episode before he even had the chance to watch season one. He produced this podcast and there's so much more coming on the Prestige TV feed. So if you don't already follow, please do so on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.